0: I'm Brad. I'm Scott. This is Curiosity. And today we have Grace on the show. Grace, welcome.
1: Thank you, guys. Very nice (laughs) to be here.
0: Super stoked to have you. Finally. It's it's not your first time in this studio, which is cool.
1: That's right. Um, I was sitting where you're sitting right now.
2: Nice. Thank you for keeping my seat warm. (laughs) I appreciate that. You got it. (laughs) It's needed because this room is freezing cold right (laughs) now.
1: It's warming up a little bit, right? It is a little Do you feel bit. It? Yeah,
0: there's a little bit of warm air coming out of this yeah. thing. Yeah, uh, like we're actually
2: bundled up, not because it's cold outside, but because it's, it's so cold. It's Actually in here. cold in here. Yeah. <laughs> Joking? No, it's actually freezing outside
0: today. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Uh, well, Grace, like uh, we just like to jump right in and just sort of like get to know like Curiosity's role in your life, and you know the whole kind of philosophy here on the Curiosity podcast is around like rebellious optimism. And just sort of like all the things that like make you human. And so uh, we know that you spend your time doing lots of cool kind of different interesting things, um, but would love to sort of just like get your take on like sort of who you are, what you're working on today. Like where's like, where do you like allocate your time? And then we'll just kind of jump in and ask like a bunch of other questions and see where it goes.
1: Sounds great, Scott.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So like what's the, I mean, uh, I don't want to call it like a day in the life question, but I'm just like sort of like you wake up in the morning, like what gets you out of bed? Like Mm. what are some of the things that like really motivate you?
1: Well, I have two identities. I work for an energy company, but at the same time I'm a mother. So in the morning, it's usually my kids waking me up. (laughs) Um, Their school starts at 7.10. So I drop them off at 7.02, like leaving my house. I'm very, as a mother, I have to plan. Uh, What gets me out, I truly enjoy my job as well. Um, Just every day, showing up, day after day, even if if I don't want to. But as a mom, you don't have a choice.
0: (laughs) Yeah, there's sort of like the toothpaste is out of the tube. Like the the decisions made, like you got to be there. How many kids do you have? You're plural.
1: I have two boys, age five and seven. And truly, I really don't know where the time went. It seems like, do you guys have kids?
0: I do. I have four kids. Okay. We do not have kids. All right. But, like, Brad's got, like, nephews, nieces. Yeah, I've got
2: like, two amazing nie- nieces and two amazing nephews. So, like, it's that, incredible. that
0: speed of, like, it's it's something, I don't know. It's, there's something about it, like, uh, I'd be interested in your take. Like, there's sort of, like, this hopeless trough of, like, early little kid time mm-hmm. where you're just, like, You're not sleeping. You're not like, you're just like, you're just gritting your teeth to keep the kid alive. (laughs) But like, there's these like moments of like just like motivation, I guess, or you know, where like, where like the, the, there's just some sort of interaction with this like little person that like, uh, like kind of makes it worth it. Like, you kind of forget like the madness.
1: Absolutely. I think every single woman, we have selective memory. Otherwise, no one want to have a second or third kid. <laughs> you forget the dark, dark period. And all you remember are the baby smells, how cute they are. And then you're like, ah, oh. I think I can do this again. <laughs> exactly. Um, and, but as an uncle, do you feel like you can be wonderful parents? I've heard people say that. They are just uh, uncles or uh, aunt. And they look at little kids. They feel, oh, I can totally do this. Until you really become parents yourself. So how do you feel when you... Uh, see little
2: kids. Oh man, that's such a great question. So I was also an educator for a number of years. Oh wow. And so I worked with young humans a lot. And do you babysit? <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Always looking Side for a babysitter. It's another expression of my life's work, is, is, is hanging out with young humans. Brad the babysitter. <laughs> yeah, I learned so much. Today at the studio, I was a barista. It was hilarious. I'll tell that story in a moment. Um, so you know, it's interesting, right? Like my, my wife was also an educator for a number of years. And so we both love kids, especially in that early development phase. The curiosity phase is so cool to see. Um, and having nieces and nephews is just so much fun because you just get to really like through the eyes of a child in such a different way as an uncle. And it's it's been it's been incredible for me. Our, our oldest nephew is 12 and our youngest nephew. The two girls are in the middle. Our youngest nephew is five now. And then the girls are nine are, are both nine. Yeah, they're, they're now both nine. And so, you know, that's amazing. Like my niece and nephew, two of them right now are in Breckenridge, Colorado, and they're there for the first time and they're snowshoeing for the first time and they're getting to like see this like cool mountainous experience. And my sister's been sending me a bunch of photos like, oh my gosh, it's so cool to like just see those moments with them. Um, so I don't, it's different though. Right. But I think from that, from that uncle lens, yeah, it's pretty amazing whether or not we would ever be good parents. I have zero idea. That was actually my wife's first question to me whenever we got engaged. She said, I have no interest in ever having children. Are you okay with that? And she was 19. I was 26. And I was like, I, I have no idea. Like I still feel like a 12 year old myself and I have not thought at all about whether or not I would ever want to have children, but I'm uh, marrying you, not my future. So like, maybe that's my answer. And we've, we've decided we won't have children um, at least intentionally, but we love them. And they are such, they're, they're so freaking cool to be around. So long answer to your question. Uh, but it's, it's really always really neat to, to see them in their element and in their curiosity. It's really fascinating. This is just kind of like a funny, I was joking, you know, we've got four kids, I always joke
0: that my ideal number was three and a half. Like, uh, you know, if I could, uh, uh, but like, uh, we've got three girls, and my youngest is a boy. So like, he came on the scene and like, totally shook things up, like, kind of same gender in a row, you've got like a routine, you've got hand me downs, you've got kind of like a little bit, like kind of what to expect. Um, but. I don't know. I'm the oldest of eight kids. So I grew up, you know, my sister was born when I was 17 months old. So like I've been around like kids sort of my whole life. And I'm also the oldest grandkid on both sides of the family. So I've like 50 something like cousins that are like first cousins all younger than me. Oh
2: yeah. You're like my mom because I think she has like 45 first cousins or something crazy. That's what I've lost track. But like there's
0: a My mom was one of 10 and my dad was, you know, one of four or something. They all have. A bunch of kids that's wild uh, that's so really cool family reunions were like really weird for me but uh <laughs> wait why were they weird but just because like i i have an like i've got an uncle who's nine months older than me
1: for example <laughs> oh wow uh, yeah so, that's like, pretty I would,
0: wild i would like sort of like my gravitational pull would like be with like my with aunts your uncles your versus uncle. like with my cousins because like
2: they were all like yeah little kids my gravitational pull as a young human was being with the adults but not because we were close in age i just got so bored with kids my age because like i wanted to like have like deep philosophical conversations conversations and they just like wanted to play which I liked playing too but I'd get bored after a while and you'd find me at the table with the adults just like hanging out the whole time
1: that's because you're an old soul
2: I think so Mm -hmm. yeah so I have to ask you because obviously you have two young humans and curiosity is most alive (laughs) in young humans like what's some of the cool things that you see them like most curious about today
1: they're curious about anything and I have to constantly remind myself that they are not annoying you gotta take the time to answer all Mm -hmm. their questions So Alex came home the other day with a paper airplane. He was holding it proudly and he said, mom, I got my first love note. So if you open the airplane, inside there's a little poem. Um, It says, roses are red, violets are blue, you're handsome and I love you.
2: (laughs) That's incredible.
1: Well, I'm really proud. He's in first grade and he got a girl who can write.
2: Yeah. (laughs) And she's a poet.
1: And she's a poet. Which is
2: amazing. Now, girls don't have cooties yet, or they already had cooties, or they don't have cooties anymore. Maybe that's like a thing of the past.
1: Oh, he respects women because that's how I taught him. Good. yeah. Um, love that. There are yeah. three girls apparently have crush on him. Okay. So I asked him, out of the three, which one's your favorite? He says, Mom, I cannot answer a question like that. Oh, that's it.
2: <laughs> yeah. Ladies love a gentleman, right? Like That's good.
1: So, yes, he's very, very curious. Um, I work in climate tech investing. Okay. So I look at uh, wind, solar. And a lot of the times I explain them to my kids. Oh, wow. And they're so curious. They see the wind turbine design and then they want to design a new one. So there's one time he drew a wind turbine with six different blades. Hmm. Um, so little kids, their imagination are just wild and they want to try new things and they have great ideas.
2: Wow. Um, you know, that, that's so true. We, uh, there was once point in time, I was a part of a really cool agency called 900 Pounds of Creative. And, hey, Steve. And uh, we used to jokingly say, like we want to actually not joking we used to say we wanted to get like first to fifth graders to come in and like brainstorm with us Mm. and just like hear their like ideas about anything like whatever Mm. the topic is like it could be with a client or it could just be like in general like philosophical with life because i feel like you would just they would have such points of view that we just don't have as we that's age in life
1: and before the school i'll teach them the same thing and then teach them to think almost linearly yeah so that's uh, I grew up in China so the education system in China they want everyone to conform when I moved to the United States at age 13 I love the education system here wow. you actually have electives Yeah. you actually get to pick um, what you want to study Gosh. and they promote individuality and creativity yeah. it's different than what I experienced in China
2: that's really cool to so hear
1: as an educator, I guess I, I wonder what you see in school. Do you see different styles in teaching? Because we oh, teach yes. kids, but then we're also putting a structure around their minds.
2: <laughs> yes. In a way, limiting 1,000%. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's interesting, too, from my perspective, because I didn't start in education. I started organizational behavior. And that's where I kind of first like discovered what my life's work was going to be in a very rough way, right? It wasn't well-defined. But I knew like I liked humans, and I liked the behavior of humans. And like I liked products, and I liked creative, and I liked design. And
1: And fashion, obviously. And I love
2: fashion. Yeah, I'm very into (laughs) fashion. That's a few years in the making, though. That's not quite as far back. Um, I fell in love with it a few years ago. One of my friends kind of got me into fashion. I was like, this is cool. It's another expression of creativity. Uh, Anyway, totally derailing. But coming back to focus, yeah, I think with my OB background, I found myself applying a lot of the organizational behavior principles into the classroom everywhere Mm -hmm. from like color psychology and what expos I would use and how I would like design the whiteboards before the students came in in the morning, a lot of little details, even how I configured the desks. One of my favorite things to do was to uh, sit in the seat of one of the students, like in their desk and have them up there presenting just to like be more empathetic and remember what it was like to be a seventh grader or an eighth grader, you know, 12, 13 years old with all the emotions that you have at that point in life. But, um, I felt like what made the difference were the rules I had in my classroom. And my very first rule was you're responsible for your own learning. And this is, you know, 13 and 14 year olds. That's a pretty big ask, but that was the point. And I also made it very clear to parents. I do not call home to mom and dad. Like they are responsible for their learning. They're young adults at this point. Like we need to, we need to respect them and their ability to be responsible for themselves. And I felt like that actually worked really nicely Um, And I I didn't force my kids, my students to do anything. Like I remember had this one young man, he came in one day and poor, poor guy, he was a twin brother. And so the, the way that the school was, they wouldn't allow like the twin brothers to be in the same classroom. So he kept getting moved to different teachers. And I was teaching, I taught math, language arts and business at this time, I was teaching language arts. And he finally comes in my classroom and like, I can't blame him. I mean, he's super like stressed out. He's 13 and he keeps getting like moved through teachers. He's like, what am I doing wrong? He wasn't doing anything wrong. They just had to have him with someone where his brother wasn't. And so he finally ends up in my classroom, like his fourth language arts teacher in like three weeks. And he comes in and he just puts his head down and I walk over to him. I'm like, you know, Hey, so-and-so like, how's it going? You know, welcome to the class. Like Mr. Versace, really excited to meet you. Um, You know, here's kind of how the class works. He just like, looks at me and puts his head back down. And so I'm like, you know, okay, cool. It's so like I go over and get a piece of paper for him and a pencil. He didn't have any supplies and throws him on the ground. And so this goes only three times. Like he just like he wasn't into it. So I was like, He's I'm not gonna,
1: engaging with him. Yeah. You at I
2: all. was like, I'm gonna just give him some space. So I gave him mm. some space. I decided to move him to a different seat where he was a little closer to the classroom, but very subtly. So he didn't feel like I was, you know, putting him on the spot a few days later. And within like a week, he was totally engaged. He was all about it. I just gave him some space and grace just to like, you know, figure it out for himself. And he realized everyone else was learning and they were having a good time. And like, it was a cool, i made, I made the class pretty fun. And you know, within a week, like he was all about it. And I, he actually followed that class to eighth grade. And so I also taught him in eighth grade. I taught him business and it was amazing. Like he was, he changed so much. And I think, you know, kind of what you were asking about, like, I think for education, To work in its current form, we need to modernize, we need to close the digital divide, there's some very real things that need to happen. But I think if you just create an environment that promotes curiosity and creativity, and yet still guide them along their journey, but not mandate and not overimpose yourself, Mm. you just get a very different type of young human and a very different outcome. And oh my gosh, I learned way more from them than I ever taught, for sure.
1: I couldn't agree more. I think there's a very specific style parenting helicopter parents. Mm. I'm the opposite of that. That's
2: so cool. I want
1: the kids to have ownership and skin in the game. Mm. And when it comes to learning, we go to the library a lot. And they, we borrow the books that they're interested in. Wow. Um, I totally relate to what you just said. Yeah. Like the kids, you're responsible for your own learning.
2: Yeah. Mm. So, so with y'all both being parents, I have a question maybe for both of you. Mm. Sky was listening to a podcast the other day. this is going to be like, just go straight to the core of your humanity. And that's kind of the intention here. Um, And she said that in the podcast, it was talking about the parental role, kind of that helicopter versus not helicopter. But specifically what it said is, I guess in the simplest form, we live vicariously through our children. And what they were saying is like, we as adults superimpose what we want them to be on them at the youngest of ages and what we think good looks like for how they're going to contribute to society later on to the point where they may or may not ever have a choice to truly discover their own identity because the formative years are so critical. And instead we could kind of steward them and guide them like you're saying along their journey without it being too much about us as adults. And I'd be curious, like, How do y'all handle that as parents? Yeah,
0: you know, uh, a handful of things come to mind. One, there's sort of like, uh, I probably picked it up in like a TikTok reel or something. There was sort of a a, pediatric psychologist kind of talking about uh, that humans are born with like 400 personality traits and that like sort of how those traits are expressed obviously is like influenced by a whole variety of things but in a lot of ways like are not influenced it's just sort of like come into the world with like a a a trajectory and that parenting therefore is shepherding that like the responsibility of the parent is to just sort of like be there to like shepherd the the discovery of you know kind of who they are and who they're going to be and so um, you know, that that's sort of certainly something that, uh, that stands out. And so it's in, in a lot of ways, sort of like parental approach has been that, you know, they're just like a full grown human, just in like a tiny body kind of thing. <laughs> like they're just like kind of stuck and like trying to like figure out their thing. Mm-hmm. And so um like always sort of taking the approach of like uh, communicating with them in, in like mature ways mm. just to sort of like describe to them what's happening as if I were describing it to, you know, somebody like a fully conscious, like fully aware kind of person. And wow, that's really cool. It's uh it's hard to do because it doesn't, it doesn't get reciprocated, especially in like the early days, but like huh. noticed it in like how I, I argue like my kids are like pretty articulate for like their age because in a lot of ways they like hear words that, uh, you know, they might m- might not have gotten exposure to in sort of the early days. So there's like a couple of thoughts that come to mind. Mm. That's really
2: fascinating. Grace, what about for you?
1: So for me, I guess let me go back a little bit. Um, so where I grew up in China, the culture difference, why your, all your hopes and dreams goes into that kid, why people are super focused on that one kid, um, it stems back to the policy, one-child policy. Yeah, for sure. sure. And in China, multi-generations live together. So if you think about it, one kid, two parents, two set of grandparents, you have six people hyper-focused on that one kid. Wow. And since you only have one child, of course all your hopes and dreams goes into that one child. Everyone's hovering around um, that child. And there's a lot of love, but at the same time, on the back end, it's a lot of pressure. Yeah. And in China, the competition is getting very fierce. So they are worried the child, how does that child compete in the future? So at a very early, on, uh, early age, they will sign that kid up for all the extracurricular activities in addition to normal school. And it's all about getting into the best school. There's so much focus on academics. So because of all the society pressure, the gener- multi-generation living together, so much attention on one child, there are a lot of pressure on that single child. So the policy mm-hmm. now has relaxed a bit because everyone in China wanted boys. So now there's a shortage of women. So now they have moved away. You can have a second child. And they're thinking about opening up to have a third child. Cool. I was families. about to ask you
2: because I, I had heard it was lifted. Yes. But I, I didn't know it was only two now. I thought it was kind of like no longer a policy, but it still is.
1: Uh, it's, you know, a sliding scale. Okay. It's okay. now. <laughs>
2: So it's um, not a hard line, like it it's works. not a hard line,
1: but then the culture wow. um because it's so competitive, yeah. many people, my cousins included, they choose to only have one because it's oh you so can put more
2: resources into the one I mean right. just being I mean obviously not from a human perspective, but just being very objective, like you can you can put all resources in one mm-hmm. or split the resources and maybe not. Have the same outcome that you're hoping for.
1: Exactly. Um, they want the best for that one child. It's,
2: it's calculated.
1: Yeah. It's yeah, by choice. Very
2: sound.
0: But well, it's, and you know, the momentum of those policies, mm-hmm. like, couldn't just be, you can't just flip that off. It's just like, it's ingrained culturally.
2: Yeah. That's right. That's well, right. Well, and look at Eastern philosophy compared to Western philosophy. It's like sound versus a bit hasty. I mean, we're very like instant gratification. Everything has to be right now. We think in quarters. I mean, not necessarily in China, but in Japan. I mean, businesses do 100-year business plans. I don't know if China does the same thing or not. I've, I've worked more with Japanese companies in that sense. But I mean, it's, it's, it makes so much sense. Like, why are we, as a capitalist society, always so freaked out about the next quarter or even the next day?
1: So it, there is a very much a long-term thinking. Love that. It's not unusual for a family to put all their resources towards the child, thinking that child is going to carry on the family name, honor family name get a great job and elevate a whole family to a higher status yeah very long-term thinking and so there's a lot of sacrifices made on wow. the parents wow. and their identity is very much this is my future yeah um, and then if you compare that to parents in United States where we live and I really like the way we think about um, well first of all, we have many children so more eggs in a basket, right
2: <laughs> yeah less pressure
1: yeah. per child yeah
2: sure um, it's your and point.
1: here they very much promote you're a person first and then you're a parent. And I absolutely agree with that. I think you gotta take care of yourself so you can be a better father, better mother to your children.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because one of the things that sort of comes to mind Mm. uh, is sort of that moment that you bring your first child into the world is sort of you shift from living for yourself to becoming responsible of sort of how it's said of being memories for your kids. And sort of like that, that like generational pivot then becomes like an awareness that like you're you have an expiration date, and like this this small human is like the time capsule that's sort of like going to carry you forward. And so like you're you then are your you your whole purpose then shifts to becoming a memory for your kids.
1: You're absolutely right. I remember it being life changing. And you start noticing little things in life you didn't notice before. Mm. And I think it makes you change your behavior too. You mm. want to do better because now you're a parent. You have to set an example for your children. <laughs> do you <laughs> remember feeling it, that? For
0: sure. And it's funny that like the toolkit that you draw on is your parents. That's <laughs> you know, like right. sort of your experiences with your parents. And so like that toolkit, that's why it's hard to like not propagate like generational or like family norms or behaviors because it's sort of like all of a sudden you're like have to pivot to this toolkit and it's like, man, I sound like my dad. Like why, That's right. <laughs> like, how do I, how do I make sure that I'm like bringing more sort of to the table? But anyways, I wanted to, it's just sort of interesting that in that sense it feels more pronounced maybe in sort of the Chinese culture where you've got multiple generations that mm-hmm. have sort of like a focus on like pouring kind of their, their, culture and norms and resources and expectations sort of into that next generation. Uh, It's pretty
2: fascinating. It's really interesting too. Like I, I almost wonder y'all's thoughts on this as well. Like how do we kind of help as adults, how do we help young humans and how do we help ourselves rather help young humans, like be excited about curiosity? Because I think sometimes curiosity as a young person, especially can manifest it itself in many ways. Sometimes it can be a bit annoying, right? And so, like, how do we kind of like be be comfortable and lean into that, and be able to filter through our own brains the fact that, like, you know, this this child of ours or niece or nephew, whatever it might be, like, isn't being annoying. They're just this is just curiosity being expressed in different ways. And so, it's almost like how do we better catch ourselves to not then unleash our own expectation on what good looks like or what we expect the behavior to be and give a little more grace to them to explore that. Like I was a why child. I used to ask everyone why, and it would be why to the infinite power. Like, you know, I'm glad Simon Sinek gave it like an actual like thing. So now I can point it and be like, no, like, yeah, like the why is a real thing. It wasn't (laughs) just my crazy brain. Uh, But like, how do we like better catch ourselves and how have y'all done that in your own journey with, with your children?
1: Mm. I think there are three things I try to do. So first one, just like you said, be patient. Because they could ask you a question when you're super busy. But cannot, I cannot think my kids as annoying, even though I do sometimes. So I try to stop myself. So really give them some time. And, and secondly, it's like, to... Like be
2: intentional almost? Yeah, you have yeah. to
1: be intentional and be in the moment. Because it's so easy to brush away a child. It's so easy their little they're little voices, it's so easy to do that. But I catch myself, and I really listen to what they're asking. And two is to hear from their perspective. Um, you think about, and when I talk to my kids, sometimes I just lower myself to the floor. Oh, it helps wow. to, when you see them eye to eye, when me them eye to eye, it makes a difference. Um, and then put myself in their shoes, like, why would they be asking it? And third, we try to get excited about things. For example, we went to Hawaii for Christmas, but before we went, I rented all the movies about Hawaii that I can find, Moana, Lilo and Stitch. So we were all curious. Great movies. Great movies, (laughs) Maui, yes. Yes. Uh, We were all very curious about Hawaii, and in the process of finding more about Hawaii, they got more and more excited. And I think because of that, when we went there, they had a better time. So encourage your curiosity.
2: Oh my gosh, that's amazing. You're really fueling the curiosity. Oh, that's beautiful. Scott, what about you, bud? I mean,
0: it just kind of makes me think of like, what are, what's anti curious? You yeah. know, it's kind of, and like, how do you like remove those barriers? Cause there's, there's things like uh, fear, there's things like uh, anxiety, um, depression. Uh, you know, my, my oldest is, will turn 15 this year. And so, you know, I'm, I'm like thinking back to like, The time with, like, tinies. I totally agree. It's, like, very easy to brush off a kid. And I've got, like, a pretty, like, intimidating, like, frame and voice. And, like, I always sort of joke there's this, like, thing in my family. It doesn't happen so much anymore. But we called it soft voice dad. Because... I would, you know, be like having a conversation with the kid and they'd be cowering because there's like this like scary thing. So You're like, like
2: complimenting them and encouraging them, but they're like terrified. You're like,
0: there's like this real terror. And so it would be like if I had, and it would just, you know, not like sincerely not angry, like, but just like, hey, like, you know directing traffic like needing to like get things moving and so i'd have to get into this like <laughs> okay soft voice dad we're gonna have like a conversation it's time for everybody to do their chores <laughs> and it would create like laughter that it would be like okay that i could sort of like express what needed to be said because it was like silly and uh and so in like some way like so much of it like parenting is just like swallowing pride like just like being humble like humble getting over the like you don't like i just appreciate i th- maybe like whenever i was doing parenting right whenever i do it right it's like i sincerely believe that my kids know more than i do and like that like shift like that belief that you could like learn something from every human on the planet like being able to like really get there mm-hmm. and my kids are smarter than me. Like they are like the, they have talents and capabilities that like I never focused on. And even if I did, I'd never be where they were at. And so like that, that ability to sort of help them. So it comes to like, what I've found is like now that they're like older is helping them to like self-diagnose like where their anxiety is at or where their like confidence is at and like help them to like see it for what it is when it arrives. And so in a lot of ways you have to be like prepared uh because it arrives on the scene unexpectedly and so it's like you know daughter got tried to out for like the seventh grade basketball team a year ago and like didn't make the team and like had a conversation with her about like hey what does that what does that mean like wh- is like all these people are on a different journey and their basketball journey they're in like a different stage and like it's a decision that you need to make. Like, do you want to go on a basketball journey? And, like, if so, like, there are things that can be done to sort of catch up. Or if That's not, it's
2: the worst feeling, by the way, <laughs> in the world. You just brought me back to my freshman year of high school. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> I got, cut, I got cut from
0: sixth and seventh grade basketball. Uh, Even, I,
2: was
1: your stature? And I
0: did not play, I didn't touch a basketball until my junior year in high school. And then I played varsity my junior and senior year. And so I told him, I was like, listen, like, I, I know exactly how you feel. Like she found out about it at her birthday dinner. And so she's like crying and, you know, it's like this whole thing. Uh, You're you're, like, not
2: you were, you, you remember those moments. Like they do not go away.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So like so much of parenting is just like being like on call to like triage a problem and like not make it worse because the temptation is so busy, so many things going on. Like, how do I, like, get this resolved, like, as quick as possible and, like, move on? And a lot of times, like, I mean, there have been times where I just walked into my daughter's room and just sat in the corner and just, like, didn't say anything. And she's just sobbing on her bed or, like, you know, like, just having and so just demonstrating, like, presence. Yeah. And that's, like, that's not, like, it's in some ways it's easy with a little kid because it's like they're crying you just hold them you just kind of like hang out you can sort of like pretend like you multitask you know like watch a movie while you're holding the kid. but like it's uh there's there's like demonstrating safety is like part of that that nuance of that experience it's like super hard to do because then they start to like distance themselves like you're you're not in the top five of like who they're going to like come and bring a problem to. It's like, how do you like keep that safe space? And if it turns into just a lecture, every time it mm. a long way to say,
1: you sound like a really good father, Scott.
0: Mm, no, I just uh, play <laughs> one on TV. Like, uh, honestly, <laughs> like uh, my wife, <laughs> has like all the credit for like keeping everybody alive. I traveled a ton and uh, missed a whole bunch of uh, things that, dads miss and parents miss when they're you know focused on like providing for a family and stuff and so um you know i have to like give myself grace for that but like also recognizing that like um you know life life is i this is funny i was i was My kids came back from a thing and it was like nine o'clock at night and they needed to do their chores. And they were all like, dad, it's like nine o'clock. I need to go to bed, blah, blah, blah. And so I was just like rolled up sleeves and like helped them. Like they need to like unload the dishwasher. So here I am unloading the dishwasher with them. Hey, and like my daughter was complaining as we were loading the dishwasher. One's responsible for unloading. One's responsible for loading. I was just like, Bailey, life's a bitch. <laughs> like, i was like there's just some times where like you're tired you had a full day and like if we don't run the dishwasher tomorrow's gonna be shittier than what it would be right now did you just uh, and i was like yeah am i wrong Silence, you know. It's like, <laughs> Tough so, love. So sometimes like just being like, like brutal honesty. <laughs> just,
2: sometimes it's good just to and, be that honest. And, you know, maybe she'll remember that, maybe she won't. But like uh she went to school and told her friends like the next day or the next <laughs> school day for sure. <laughs> you know what my dad said? It was crazy. <laughs> Probably.
0: And so being sort of unexpected around that, I don't know. But
2: well, I think, I, no, please go ahead.
1: I was gonna say you're so honest with your kids, and then sometimes that's very helpful to show honesty because they are so honest with you. My kids call me out on things. They have such a good memory. When I tell them, oh, don't run a stop sign. Mommy, did you just roll through that stop sign? They're so honest. And on showing my honest side too to them, sometimes it really helps to show my vulnerability. Like you, I travel a ton. Sometimes I work a whole lot when I come home. And if my husband's traveling, I have the kids to myself. It could be a lot. You're tired. I just remember asking them for help, and that was a game changer. So instead of just having them sit at a desk, I actually asked them, come to the kitchen with me and help me. They get so into it, and they see the vulnerable side of a parent. They're little, but they understand a lot more than we think.
0: The sensitivity to, like, authenticity and, like, and, and like the just the challenges that, like, human's face like they know like, when yes. you're stressed or like when something's going they like feel it and so it's that's always, like, right how do you like de-escalate you know the emotions? so I'd, i mean i'm curious grace like you'd kind of like touched on it briefly it's just sort of like how do you what are some of the things that you do deliberately in those like two personalities that you described or kind of two versions of yourself mm-hmm. as like a mother and like someone who's driving a career like what are some of the things that you do to like keep that the like parts of that for yourself, you know, like that are focused on like you as a person and as a parent, uh, uh versus sort of like being, you know, have like the 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 demands and requirements that sort of come with it. like what are some of the be interested, like, what are some of the things that you do to like balance that?
1: Sure. So it's a constant struggle. I'm still learning that. Um, when I first had my kids, it was a real struggle, Scott. A real struggle because you feel like you're failing as a mother sometimes and then you're failing at your job. You're burning candles at both ends. Now my kids are seven and five. I have more handle on things. Um, There are a few things like one is don't be afraid to ask for help and get help. I have a housekeeper and I have a nanny starting February 6th. I'm super excited. That's awesome. Um, Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And two is really to communicate my needs with my husband. He travels, I travel, but I told him how important my career is. So we compromise. We try to time our work trips so we can each cover the important trips that we take. Mm. And three planning planning is so important. Planning, planning is yes. so important. And it's everything on like your outlook. Outlook drives my life. Wow. <laughs> um, and third is when you're doing something, be there 100%. Like if I'm here yeah. with you guys, I'm 100% here. I don't think about the pickup, I don't think about my work. So while I'm at work, I'm 100% at my work. Until, of course, the school calls if someone has a fever. It uh, ruins your whole day, right? Um, and while I'm at home, I try to be really, really present at dinner. Even if I try to think about work, I stop myself. And I try to be present, answer my son's questions, and then really try to taste dinner. You have to be present during mm-hmm. those moments. Of course, I jump back on the computer after they fall asleep. Um, but yeah,
2: you're present during those. moments. Yeah, you have right? to be present. Well, I mean, gosh, and you're speaking to something that's so important, our minds, right? The power of the mind and presence is a practice. It's not something I would say in 2023, that's overly mm-hmm. common, because we have these, you know, beautiful inventions called the smartphone. <laughs> and they really do give us a lot of opportunity space. You know, we give a lot of, I think, negative Um, discourse around the role of the smartphone in society today and social media, there's also a very positive side to it as well. And yeah, there's some very real aspects. There's there's addictive behavior, you know, there's not being, not feeling present. um, There's instant gratification and the overstimulation that comes with that. There's also like an incredible amount of access and exposure that comes with it as well. But whether it's beneficial or maybe less than awesome sometimes in our humanity, no matter what, it's still in our presence. And Mm so like finding ways to be present is really important for sure. You know, and so when we think about the role of rhetoric in society, I think another part of that shifting gears a little bit is asking questions. And one of the questions I love to ask is, what is the human experience in a carbon negative reality? And being that you're also a badass rock star human that works in the climate tech space, um, I would just love to hear from your perspective, like that aspect, that expression of your own humanity like, what does that look and feel like? And where are you kind of on that part of your journey?
1: So I really think about it, um, I've worked for 15 years. I probably have 15 or 20 more years left of working. Whatever I do now will have an impact on um, my children's life in the future. They're gonna be the ones that's going to pick up the baton from us in the future to keep mm-hmm. continuing on the energy transition journey. So I, because of that, I feel a lot of urgency to do as much as we can. I think Scott relates to that because he works in a similar field. Um, if we don't do it now, the, our kids, Scott, your kids, my kids will have a much tougher time to battle that. So that's how I feel. And mm. So going back to the what you said just now, like being present, I think we can learn so much from the kids. Hmm. Have you noticed when they play, they truly play. They mm-hmm. enjoy 100%. There's not a care in the world. So I think when you're born, you're capable of being present. But as we get older and older and older, more things fill our minds. It's robbing us of the ability to be present. It's robbing us of our experience. It's robbing us of the joy of enjoying the moment. Um, the more we can hold still, be present, the more joy you would get out of all the experience, you're able to enjoy it fully. And that's when the little things start to make you happy. Mm. Do you notice that?
2: Yeah.
0: It reminds yeah. me of uh what it's they say so anxiety is living in the future and depression yes. is living in the past.
1: <laughs> and so being, I love that being saying present
0: is like mm-hmm. like it's the best like way to be like mentally healthy is just to sort of like embrace like where you're happen to be and um I agree there's a lot of challenges.
1: Exactly. That's I such an interesting point. it helps that I am a naturally curious person. I just love to talk to people and find out their story. So sitting across from you, sitting next to you, it's not hard for me to be present because I'm so interested in hearing what you have to say. Mm. Um, if more people do that, I think we'll have a happier, um, happier population in general yeah. and, and let go of the past. that's the other secret to happiness
2: (laughs) (laughs) exactly that's a really good
0: point in that like what got you like interested i mean like the motivation to do what you do for your day job today like that it's a it's a beautiful like altruistic like kind of perspective like how do we like lay a foundation for kind of that next generation do you remember like when that first got on your radar of like Energy, like broadly, what the future of energy would be? Like, wh- like what, what, what steered you down energy oh, in the man. first place?
1: So I, I think it's by accident. Um, I went to school in Florida. So energy is not big there. There are two things. It's healthcare and entertainment mm. industry. But one day, I think I was in a real estate class. The gas price at that time was going through the roof. My real estate professor, Professor Bailey, jokingly said, guys, look at the gas price. If you want to go make money, go work for an oil company. (laughs) He said it jokingly. It's like a throwaway comment. (laughs) Throwaway comment, but I looked into it. I've always wanted to work for a Fortune 500 company, and I started looking at it. Top energy companies, they top the rank of the global Fortune 500 list. So I applied to Shell, Chevron, Exxon, BP, everyone, the majors. Um, So I think it's more an accident how I got into the energy industry. But once I got here, it's truly the values my mother instilled in me from a small child that's that got me to care about the planet, care about people. So now I'm getting to marry the two. It's pretty incredible.
2: I love that. As we're kind of now transitioning into maybe pun intended, um, with energy transition, as we're now transitioning <laughs> into this kind of like clean tech energy transition part of the conversation. Like how like what do those expressions look like? And what are some of those infinite ambitions? that you really believe in advancing with, within the clean tech space? And like, what needs to be true?
1: Well, Brad, that's a really good question. I think there are, let's Let's describe it as a triangle. Um, the top, you have technology. That has to happen. I'm talking about technology that hasn't been invented yet. Technology that's been invented, that's still at university. And technology we're trying to commercialize right now. And then the other... Um point of the triangle would be the capital, so it could be capital venture capital, could be growth capital um could be government grants, so that's the the other part and then the last piece of the triangle, um I believe some government policy would need to make that happen, but to tie it all together, you know what's at the center people hmm. people will have to really come together and work together and pushing the same direction.
2: And I'd just be so curious, like, where do we even start?
1: Well, that makes the two of us. It's a big question. Yeah, um, It's a really, really complex world. So I look at bits and pieces related to the work I'm doing. Uh, recently, I've been looking a lot at batteries and battery recycling. Um,
2: wow.
1: So I don't know if you noticed, like you, you mentioned technology bringing the cost down. And that's so true the cost to produce a battery cell has been constantly decreasing but in 2022 for the very first time that trend reversed the cost actually went the wrong direction and went up and that is due to raw material costs increasing hmm. um and that's a, a shame because that shouldn't be the case only
2: is it a supply and demand factor or
1: supply and demand okay. and also only 5% of the batteries that get that gets recycled today. Um, It's a shame because the uh, the metals in a battery do not get degraded or compromised over time. Um, 99.9% could be recycled and put back into the supply chain and used over and over again. It's the most beautiful circularity, closed loop. If you just imagine, that's a a real possibility. It's a beautiful, beautiful circularity story.
2: What's Um, happening right now? Like, why are those batteries not being recycled?
1: I don't think there's a profitable way, efficient way, clean way to recycle them. Um, But Mm -hmm. you will see a lot of companies that's getting started, getting funded, that's working on that very problem. Um, But to bring it back to your policy question, if you look at IRA, um, it's promoting localized supply chain in the future. So Mm -hmm. what it means is, in the future for a battery that's from an American car, you probably cannot ship it to China to get recycled anymore because once it leaves the country, it may not be able to get imported back in. So you should look at domestic uh, recycle solutions. That way when the materials goes in, it comes out, it becomes American-made again.
2: Hmm. And also the process of producing batteries is pretty filthy and not the most um, just clean, wonderful environment to be in. And I don't know if that's true. That's just what I've heard. So that's kind of part one of my question. Is the, the process of mining the raw materials like, safe for people to be doing in the first place?
1: Um, I think there are certainly different practices that could be not the most sustainable. Um, okay. Yeah.
2: So it's like anything else. It's like fracking, for example. You can do it really well and really smart, and you can do it very poorly, and it gets a bad rap because people cut corners and do it poorly instead of doing it well. Okay. Which Scott knows way more about than I will ever even he does. remotely <laughs> imagine. It's like one of your I'm just kinda sitting back stage the conversation. I've is I've go. learned most of that from you. <laughs> so uh,
1: actually, what did you do before you start doing this job, Scott? Like uh, Halliburton? I,
0: I ran Halliburton's global fracture. Okay, okay. There, there we
1: go. Yeah. yeah. yeah so I
2: when I say like he knows here. how to do it really well, like he knows <laughs> how to do it very well. <laughs> and has probably taught many other organizations how to also do it really well and clean. And so, you know, my, my question about like batteries isn't intended to be like, I'm anti-batteries. It's just more like true curiosity. I know nothing about it. And I'm just fascinated by like the process of how we do it. And the aspect of recycling from what I've heard is like one of the unsolved mysteries that if we could just solve for and do well, could game change overnight, which brings up a question when we get back to government policy. NASA has always played a very interesting role in innovation and invention. They have been given the, the creative freedom, if you will, and license to not have to be profitable and make thousands of innovations and inventions, if not more, possible. And so in the same sense, like, do we almost need some sort of like public-private partnership where it doesn't have to be profitable earlier on, but it's just the right thing to do for society?
1: I think that's what venture capital kind of does. <laughs> we fund a lot <laughs> wow. of companies. Um, they're working on moonshot solutions and a lot of them will fail but from that portfolio one or two will become the stars and carry the entire return so that's we take many many bets um i think helleburn labs your track record may be better i don't know
0: I i mean there's a lot to react to i mean there's there's a there's a whole you know range of conversation around kind of what uh you know from the storytelling component to i mean in some ways it's like a a B 2 b2b versus b2c sort of mentality you know and i would say you know a lot of the the large uh oil companies have you know distribution footprints through gas stations for example and so you know the the b2c relationship exists with that energy ticker known as the gasoline price that's just sort of like always out there and kind of the average human that's sort of like how they're you know making their assessment but uh you know the the opportunity there for sure is real and it's something that's embedded somewhat in the, the culture and the personality of a lot of the the communities and people that deliver energy to humanity is is a humility and just like a sleeves rolled up kind of approach and so it's just a little bit of like that, you know, you have conversations with people that are literally at the well site doing that kind of work, and they know that they're delivering energy security to the U.S. or to, you know, to people around the world, and that access to electrons is directly correlated to quality of life, and they just have a, like, a, a humility about it, and so I think that that's, that's absolutely changing. It's, and, it, and it's the not only humility, sort of come it's –
2: they're almost villainized in – certain well, parts of enough. just the US alone and
0: that's because it's political and that's because energy access is a, is a super political topic like there's 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 nothing more like geopolitically relevant than energy and so in, in the, the past convers- century at least in the, co- yeah. well, in the it's ever no, the past like, couple centuries i mean it's ever you go back in ever. humanity it's, it's like human the, history the access to fire energy whatever you want to yeah. call it if the access fire, to fire which weren't you telling me that like ten percent? if it's you know whatever it is
2: like. yeah weren't you telling me 10 percent of like wood burning is still like a part of our energy mix yeah the, the it,
0: biomass is classified as uh clean energy Renewable energy. And it makes up a huge swath of what is actually generated from a power standpoint. So the state of Vermont, for example, adopted this renewable energy biomass approach, and they just cut down forests and burn uh, they have a lot of trees to biomass. work with. They just
2: have to re- do reforestation, yeah. I'm guessing, right? Yeah. But if you look at the US,
1: they have no hmm, other solutions. Not. So they huh. don't have access to a better Wow. I lived it as a child in China. Um, there yeah, was yeah. not reliable electricity. Wow. So there were days we burned candles and I read and studied by candlelight. And so I grew up in a, a Chinese military Navy base. My mother worked for the Chinese Navy. Um, and we live in a town that's a Navy government housing that has access to electricity. Next to us is the fishing village. They didn't even have access to lights. Or water.
2: So you see inequities even within your own region that you're in.
1: Absolutely. And I am I'm thirty-seven years old, so it's not that long ago yeah. I
2: lived yeah. in this. Yeah, I mean, as millennials, we've seen a lot.
0: Thank you for listening. Join Brad and Scott next time on the Curiosity Podcast. Onward. The Curiosity Podcast is hosted by Brad Risacci and Sky Gale. The guests featured are on as individuals and are not on the show to represent an organization and no commercial relationship implied or otherwise as a result of their appearance. The views and opinions expressed herein are solely those of the individuals and do not reflect the opinions or beliefs of any affiliated organization.